Happy Sabbath, friends. It's been an incredible journey walking with you through the crucible. We've discussed the various challenges of the crucible throughout scriptures and also in our lives. And now we are in the final Sabbath of the quarter, looking at how Christ also stepped into the crucible in order to rescue us from it. But before we begin, let's bow our heads for prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in this discussion. Our good and gracious Father, we want to thank you so much for being a God who did not stand on the sidelines, but you as the God had stepped into the crucible, are continuing to step in the crucible with us. And so as we talk about, as we finish up this study about how we face challenges on an almost daily basis in the crucible, we ask that you continue to be with us, give us wisdom, guidance, and most of all, encouragement that you will never let us go. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am joined today with by my friend and colleague, Jesse. Jesse, it's so great to have you on again. Yeah. Pastor Miguel, for those of you who are, who are not aware, is still on his trip to Asia Minor. Last I heard, he was in Greece. And so this is an opportunity for Jesse to step in and, and to discuss this final lesson with us. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Good, good. So we're, we're talking about how Christ did not stand on the sidelines, but he stepped into the crucible with us. And that really gives us a lot of hope in the future. But I wanted to start by asking you, has there ever been a time when you've been rescued or you've been a rescuer or maybe been a witness to a rescue that happened? So, uh, you know, we had a tree outside of our outside of our house in the front yard, and it was kind of a small maple tree, small enough that I could climb in it and everything. And and uh, I was climbing in it one day, and I was, and then I had I put my um, arms or my hands on, on two different branches, and I was sort of propped up on it, and I was going to let go to drop down, which is something I do all the time. It was like just a few feet, and uh, I let go, and start and fell, and all of a sudden I just found myself hanging there in midair. I was like, what's, what, what's happening? And my dad had recently cut a branch off that I think had died or something like that. And oh, I wow. was hanging on it now by my, by my elbow, it's like stabbed into my, a little bit into my armpit. And, and, uh, just, I'm just hanging there, you know, obviously freaking out because I, 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 I didn't know what to do. I didn't yeah. really know what had happened either. And, uh, my dad happened to be talking to a neighbor in the street. I was always out there all the time by myself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but this time he happened to be talking to a neighbor like five feet away and then came and lifted me off. I don't know how I would have gotten off of it if, if, he, had, if he hadn't been there, but yeah, so that's a time I was definitely oh, rescued. No. So, so did it, did it break your skin or catch mm -hmm. on your, oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I had to get stitches and yeah. Oh wow. So, that must yeah. have been painful too. From what I remember, I just remember vividly, like obviously screaming, Yeah. but, uh, I don't remember just how painful it was. I just remember that vivid moment of like hanging there and then I could, I could vividly remember my dad and my neighbor talking and them turning around and, and them seeing me. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I yeah. was rescued, being rescued. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the shock of the moment probably, it clouds your memory of how yeah. painful it oh, actually was. I'm sure. I like just, you're expecting to fall and all of a sudden. You just <laughs> stopped in midair. Yeah. Oh <laughs> wow. How about wow. you? So for me, um, I remember a time when I took my daughter to, uh, a birthday party and there was swimming and um, the the owners of the house had done a great job of putting a fence around the swimming pool and you know so that kids would stay out when there weren't there wasn't supervision but um, I was a little uncomfortable because my daughter didn't really know how to swim very well at that point and so I was standing inside that fence and just kind of monitoring her and I turned to chat with a, a parent um, and then like I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of time went by, maybe 15, 20 seconds. And I looked back and she was gone. Like I couldn't find her. Oh my goodness. And so I was, 
you know, frantically like scanning, where does she go? Does she leave? Yeah. And then I see her head pop up. Yeah. And so luckily she she knew enough that that she knew to continue to hop up for yeah. air if she if she didn't um if she couldn't um, swim, swim to the surface. Yeah. And so she popped up. What had happened, I guess, was there was there was a drop off oh, to the deep end, goodness. and she had stepped off and, without realizing and yeah. gone in the deep end, and then she was hopping up. And so immediately, I just jumped into the water and yeah. pulled her out, and and she was fine. Luckily, yeah. she was fine. She, you know, of course, a little rattled and a little yeah. bit scared, and I was I was pretty scared myself. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what was most scary for me was how quiet it was. Yeah. You know, there was no scream, there was no panic. All the kids around her were still playing, yeah. right? And so I could see how easily children could drown yeah. in a setting like that. And oh, so, man. just so grateful that I was able to get her out and that yeah. she was fine. But yeah, that was a time. I knew you were there. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's glad to be a rescuer in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But we have a rescuer as well. And um, what's incredible is that just like me diving into the water, well, maybe not just like that, but even worse than me diving into the water fully clothed, he steps into the crucible. Um, he steps out of heaven where everything is perfect and great and steps into the crucible of life here on earth. And so uh, the lesson goes through different stages of his life and talks about different ways that he faced the crucible. So I thought we would spend our time at, in different stages, including starting with his childhood, um, which is described in Luke chapter 2. So yeah. I want to read from Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 7, and then verses 22 through 24, kind of describing the the state of his family um, when he was born, Luke chapter two, verse seven reads, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him, this is Mary, wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. So kind of making the point that they didn't have the resources and the uh, finances, they didn't have the family there in in Bethlehem to for them to stay over with them so that he was born in a in a stable and placed in a manger. And then verse 24, uh, 22 through 24 reads, and when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were, were completed, they uh, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And actually, if you look at that law in Leviticus, in the book of Leviticus, it actually mandates a lamb be offered unless you can't afford one and then you do turtle doves. So again, underlying how poor he was and how his family background was not wealthy or pampered. And so I guess my question is, why do you think, why do you think God chose to um, have his son? Why did Jesus choose to be born to a couple that didn't have those kind of resources that wasn't, why not put him into context where he was wealthy or pampered or had status and influence like born to a priest's family or a Pharisee's family so that, so that he could have the kind of influence and make the kind of impact um, that we think we need, um, the authority that we need to make that kind of impact. I, I think a piece of it is that the, the whole idea of the, the coming Messiah was this person who was going to be a, a leader that would lead the country into into uh, not only independence but also wealth and prosperity, mm. and the uh, that, that's where you get those the statements by the disciples later. It's when Jesus yeah. says oh, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of God, and they're like, how who could ever enter? Because there's this perspective of like wealth also equals. I, I, don't, I don't I actually don't know this for sure, but it, there seems to be some hints at it mm. um, that wealth almost equals the favor of God. Uh, or, or prosperity seems to, 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 to indicate that as well. Um, all sorts of reasons of why wealth was, was, was viewed so, so positively in that light. But then Jesus, on the other hand, goes, you know, it's, you know, it's hard for rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and for, for the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like there's, there's something about wealth that 
maybe blinds us to our actual need and maybe even the needs of others. Not that that's absolute, but that it tends to do that if we're not, if we're not intentionally in the direction. And it would seem that Jesus in coming as, as what is the experience of many that is overlooked by many, Mm -hmm. that he is, he is identifying himself, not with those who have, but with those who don't have, Mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing. I did not come for the the, the healthy. I came for the sick. Mm-hmm. It's this. He seems to be identifying his experience with not those who have a maybe decent enough experience on earth, though everyone suffers, but with those who have the harder experiences. I don't. Wow. Know. I don't. I don't. And, and I. I don't know. That just seems to be. Yeah. Part of it. I don't know. So Jesus had this countercultural message. And so he not only spoke that message, but he actually lived it out himself. Instead yeah. of coming to a wealthy family, he comes to a poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, and in living out that, he he, had, he gives more weight to his message, uh, the countercultural message. I think so. I, I think also, I always hesitate to, to portray God as like planning unemotively, like, mm. like looking at the world, well, here's, here would be plan, like the best, <laughs> best specific plans. I'll put all the chess pieces in place. Okay. Perfect. Logically figured it all out. Mm. I, I think I look at it as God looking at this earth and saying like, this is the, the suffering of, of those who have not is, is exactly what was hope we were hoping to avoid through creation mm-hmm. and through the, the, the idea of don't, don't go that the direction of sin mm. because it creates all this inequality and, and brokenness. Mm. And so it seems that God is saying, I'm going to come and identify with those who are experiencing the worst of it mm-hmm. because this is the exact sort of brokenness that, w- that was always hoped to be avoided. And in that, it's what's, what's interesting is when you come as the poorest, even the richest can identify with the struggles mm. of humanity. However, if you come as a rich person, the poorest cannot identify with mm. with the that in 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 the same way. So I don't I don't know, I don't yeah I don't want it to be logical, but as as much as it seems like God is just identifying with those who who are experiencing it the worst. I don't yeah. know. So not so much like a cold tactician, mm-hmm. but yeah. more of yeah. trying to really identify with the poor. And you see that yeah. throughout, the, especially the book of Luke, mm-hmm. right? Where Jesus identifies with the outsiders, with the tax collectors, with yeah. the prostitutes, yeah. right? Over and over again, these people that yeah. that society, good, good, honorable society had written off, mm-hmm. Jesus actually spends a lot of his time, the majority of your, his time actually, yeah. with those people. Yeah, yeah, and there's and if you think about the brokenness that would have been, especially for say someone who's who's in prostitution, like there's a lot of other brokenness that uh, that 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 is part of getting you to that space where you're doing that. Um, and then the tax collectors. What's very interesting about tax collectors is like he's hanging out with these people who they were the ones who seemed to be the ones oppressing the the, the people. And so Jesus is not does not seem to identify with those who we'd think he would he would identify with. Mm. He, yeah, it's I don't know. I don't even have a full what's the right word, thought out reason for all of that as much as just it's a very interesting thing for, 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 for God to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that actually kind of reminds me of a, of a story I heard about Henry Nouwen. Um, he, he is um, a priest who was a very famous speaker and writer, and he had a friend um, in, in a mental hospital who was a patient in a, in a mental hospital and wanted to go visit him but when the the staff of that hospital found out that Henry Nowen was going to show up there they wanted to throw a banquet for him they wanted all the doctors to come and and to sit with him and learn from him and he agreed to do that as long as his his um, patient friend could be with him and when he gets there and he tries to have the patient go in. Uh, the 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 leader of that clinic says, "No, no, no. Patients are not allowed in the mm-hmm. doctor's cafeteria." Mm-hmm. And Henry says, "Well, if he's not allowed in there, then I won't be in there yeah. either." And they quickly make an exception for him. And he just describes how that experience and the interactions between the patient and the do- the patient and that doctor, the doctors there, actually opened their eyes because. Um, you know, the, the patients started to do some random things, but in, in, in doing it, they really expressed the joy of God. And Henry points to that, that God speaks sometimes from the most unexpected places, yeah. right? And we see that with, with Jesus, that he gives such dignity 
um, to those that society has kind of written off and said, you're not really worth spending time with, you're not really worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus gives those people dignity. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like there's also a call to identify ourselves with that, even if we're not in those positions. That yeah. Instead of being the people who's, oh, thank God I'm not in those in that space, it's it's almost like a an encouragement to be the type of people that can identify with or would go to identify with those with those people. It's it's not only that Jesus enters the crucible, he calls other people who may not be in the same crucible as these others mm. that have become others by by the rest of society. It's a call to 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 it's it's what Pastor Randy has said several times, I think he got, I don't recall where he got it from, but Christian hospitality is making the outsider an insider. Mm. It's that whole idea that Jesus seems to do with his life instead of just sort of coming to this earth separate from it all. Because I don't think we could identify with a God that, we couldn't identify in the way that we do now with a God who is fully separate from our suffering. I don't, I don't think. Wow. Um, it's what we see in, in Hebrews. It's one of my favorite verses. It's, in fact, I think the thing that really kick-started my personal relationship with God, even though I'd grown up Adventist, when I was about 16, it was the, this is the verse, Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a God who can identify with our weaknesses. Paul actually, or whoever wrote Hebrews, uses the double negative. We have a God who, we do not have a God who cannot mm-hmm. um, identify with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in every way as we are, and he didn't sin. And then there's the invitation on the backside of that, which is to therefore let us uh, come before the throne of grace boldly. And that's the power of it is that we have a God who can sympathize. And that was the thing that shifted my perspective on, mm. on God. He wasn't this almost Superman that came to earth, bullets bounced off of him, yeah. was never tempted by, uh, by anger, by lust, by whatever it was that, um, or, or I guess inappropriate anger. Um, he was never tempted. It, was, it wasn't like he was never tempted into those things. Those were pulls and, and mm. those drew those felt like draws to him, I'm sure. It's just the difference between him and us is that he did not give in to those things and become those things. Yeah. And what it spoke to me was that this was a God who got what it was like for me to be a 16-year-old mm-hmm. male. He was a God who got what it was like to be in this space in life, and he wasn't unacquainted with it, with the suffering, with the difficulty, with the, 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 the pulls different directions in life. And that was the thing that shifted me mm-hmm. from being like, oh, yeah, God's something up there too. This God is, he actually knows me. Yeah. Knows what it's like. Yeah. 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 That's, that's powerful that you say that, that God is willing to not only stand up there and say that I want to pull you up to me. Mm -hmm. He's also saying, I'm willing to step Mm into that muck and be with you. And he's actually experienced that himself so that he can identify with, with the challenges we face. And then you said something really powerful. You, You said that he calls us into the crucible as well mm-hmm. so that crucibles that may not be our own for us to step into that. Mm-hmm. So are you saying is, is the responsibility of those who are not in the crucible to step into the crucibles with other people that, and, and so that they can, we can also identify with, with them and then help bring them in like Christ did for us. I would say so. I mean, just based off of what what Jesus says, he says, you'll know my disciples by how you love. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found very intense about love is that, that you have to be able to identify with somebody else's difficulties to truly be able to love them. It's always easy to love somebody's, all the good stuff Mm -hmm. about somebody. It's really difficult. (laughs) It becomes more difficult as soon as you're faced with the imperfections, with Mm -hmm. the, the, um, yeah, which is all the imperfections of somebody else or their circumstance. And it would seem to me that for those of us who say we're called to love, and then, oh, yeah, we love everybody. But many of us are not stepping into the crucibles of other people. And so then it's very difficult to understand or even be able to really say that we love them because there is so little identification with what they might actually be going with, mm-hmm. going through. So it's easy to say I love you from afar and then also to condemn behavior from afar. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to actually say I love you when I'm. It's easier to say it, harder to live it out when I'm when I'm with somebody in their in their in their difficulty in the crucible moments of their life. So I, it seems to me that Jesus is calling us into that, and if, I don't think we can step into every crucible thing, like every situation, every societal discussion. Now we can't. We just can't. We're humans. However, it seems like, man, at least one, at least somebody, at least one person. Mm. Um, that's outside of our 
our maybe our economic sphere out of our out of our um, circle of friends out of the people we might normally hang out with it mm-hmm. seems like we have to be be able to identify with at least somebody yeah. that's not from those spaces yeah I don't know those I mean, are just thoughts <laughs> what you're describing talk seems a lot like empathy right mm-hmm. yeah is um, being with someone it's not just um, sympathizing where mm-hmm. we're just um, mentally um, emoting certain emotions but that we're actually identifying with the person yeah. sitting alongside them in the mm-hmm. curve of life that empathy and you, you you use the word that the Christian practice of hospitality mm-hmm. you talked about the Christian practice of hospitality as being more than actually you know a lot of times we think of hospitality as having potluck mm-hmm. you know and yeah. serving a meal which is a powerful part oh, of yeah. hospitality sure. I mean one that I've benefited from yeah. many times yeah. and that I love <laughs> right but Potluck really, or or those meat fellowship meals really just set up a context where hospitality can happen, yeah. right? Like I've been to some um, potlucks or um, fellowship lunches where nobody said hi to me as a guest, <laughs> right? They had the food and they gave me food, which yeah. was very nice, uh-huh. but nobody sat next to me, nobody yeah. talked to me. I don't know if that was the most hospitable environment. Yeah. Um, it seems like what you're saying is hospitality has at a heart at the heart of it a certain posture. Right, a posture that says, "I'm not going to wait until you adapt to me. Mm-hmm. I will adapt to you." Yeah. Right. That I will step into those spaces. Not saying that I need to become like the people who are in the crucible, but saying that I, I I have to be willing to step into that crucible and identify with them enough so that when I speak words, they can I speak them in a word that a way that they can be understood, mm-hmm. and that I've shown that I've cared, and yeah. that that I'm not waiting until somebody becomes like me in order for them to be accepted. Yeah, cuz when when that is the when that is the the primary function when, when we say first you you have to sort of enter into my world before I will relate with you, like that is that is literally the opposite of what of what God has done for us. And what I think is very interesting too is is <laughs> that you would you would think and I, I believe this that God is God. He he absolutely could understand fully the experience of anybody Mm. if he had never come Mm. but it seems like he comes not for his own understanding but for us Mm. and that even like me logically knowing that this god that is formless and and obviously powerful it seems to be his fingerprints are all over creation and all over our lives but yet he's formless and and unknowable to a certain degree that even if i logically know he knows all of my my, my circumstances and, and what it's like to, to be a, in this space, in this world, that it just doesn't have the same comfort mm-hmm. as knowing that like he walked here too. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the simplistic version of, he knows what it's like to have a bunch of dust under his feet and his sandals, and it's really annoying and uncomfortable, and he has to stop, take his sandals off. Like yeah. something as humanizing as that mm. puts the rest of it in context. Yeah. That, then that same God who had, that, that had the dust be annoying is the same God that experienced utter rejection and the pain of knowing people that he would love would would just never get it. Like that's a huge thing that I I, I can't imagine that pain and I can't imagine the suffering of of feeling like he was the other mm-hmm. when all these other people had yeah. decided this is what our group is and it goes right back to I just imagine at that potluck like this God who or Jesus who this man but God who steps in and comes comes into this room and goes to hang out with all of the people that we're all kind of like, I'm glad they're at that table <laughs> while the rest of us hang out. And that would be, that would, and I get why people hated him. Yeah. Because that's weird. Yeah. And it's, it's, it also, I think, hits at the, at the, at this core thing that we understand in ourselves. It's just like, I really know that I'm called to that, but I'm not doing it. And then somebody else is doing it. And I hate that because it points to my own weaknesses so i get why he was hated too yeah but i'm so grateful that he still stepped in i don't know yeah Yeah, there is sort of an expectation that god will be like me right that god will like the people that i like he'll identify with the people that i identify that there is this perspective that oh jesus is like me and i I, you know we get that because we we all we even want our celebrities or people that we respect 
whenever we find any kind of connection with them, like, oh, their birthday is on the same day that mine is, or, or something, something that has nothing to do, no bearing on our yeah. life. It's something that, that um, resonates with us, oh, yeah, right? Sure. Because as you were pointing out, we are physical beings and there's some realism that comes for mm -hmm. something that is tangible and yeah. physical. Like I never got that until I went to Israel for myself. Mm -hmm. And I never understood why people took pilgrimages, mm -hmm. why people, you know, um, had relics and mm -hmm. things like that until I got there. And I stood on a spot in Capernaum where um, they talked about Jesus. This is the path that Jesus most likely took to get to Peter's mm -hmm. mother's house. And it just hit me. Wow. Jesus stood <laughs> right, right here. here. And there was just something powerful and moving yeah. about that. Just something more real about that experience. It wasn't just the knowledge of, oh, this is what it looked like. And so the Bible became more alive. It was also the fact that Jesus was right there. Mm -hmm. And it, for some reason, made me feel closer to him. Mm -hmm. So I get that wanting that, that connection with Jesus, but we also have to understand that Jesus not only identifies with us, mm -hmm. that he identifies with everyone, right? Which is the harder leap for us yeah. to make. Well, because that's one of the things about our friends, like our friends to, to a certain degree naturally have to be exclusive to a certain point. Mm -hmm. Like if you're friends with everybody, you're not really friends with anybody mm -hmm. because you, you never really have, like I, I was, I had a moment with a friend recently where we were at a party and then he and I were sitting down separate from everybody else and talking. Mm -hmm. And that was a really special moment for me because there needs to be some sort of exclusivity for there to be more connection. Yeah. The, 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 the really annoying part about Jesus is that if he was there, he would have that moment with me. But then if there was a person who was, harsh to me, not nice to me, or somebody I was harsh to and was not nice to you mm -hmm. and, and just didn't relate with, whatever it was, that he would also go and sit down with them and have that same conversation and yeah. love them. And there's something frustrating about that, I think, yeah. which is just like, why can't, why can't I be the center of the universe? Mm -hmm. And why can't everything kind of revol revolve around what I, what, what you were saying, what I prefer, what I like, the people I like, the people I identify with. Yeah. And there's just something that he, him coming the way that he did, it sort of alienates everybody to a, to a small degree where all of us are a bit like, oh, but that's not exactly like my situation, <laughs> yeah. but that's just like somebody else's that I don't identify with. Yeah. And it's a powerful, I don't know, like it's just, it's, it's challenging at the same time. And I know we can't be all things to everybody. Um, God can only be God and we can't, we are limited, but it is a call to stretch, it seems like, mm -hmm. outside, of, outside of our comfort zones as Jesus came and was way outside of anybody's box. <laughs> like, I don't know. He definitely broke open all the boxes that people had of who he was. Yeah, and, and that kind of empathy and breaking open the boxes, um, I think the, the point that le the lesson makes is that that took sacrifice, mm -hmm. right? It took sacrifice for Jesus to be born um, in a manger, to be laid in a manger after his birth, to be born to a poor family, um, to be ridiculed and despised and rejected and attacked by, by the leaders and the religious establishment of that time, to be misunderstood by the people. Um, all of that took sacrifice. And do you think it takes that kind of sacrifice for us now if we're also going to follow in Jesus's footsteps? Does that mean that we're also going to encounter those kinds of challenges because we're also breaking open boxes and not meeting people's expectations as well? I, I think there's I think there's two things to answer your question specifically. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, it, it, like it's going to take sacrifice because it means that you're going to be misunderstood. Um, that's one of the things I've actually found kind of funny in the, in the recent years of being a pastor, um, the more I've spoken with people that are, would be traditionally outside of, out of Christian communities that, I mean, to, to be honest, the more I know them, the harder it is to, to, to ostracize and to, to put them outside of the Christian community, mm -hmm. especially people who say they love Jesus and they just, they're not living lives that are, traditionally within the box and mm. it's it's just a it's a really tough thing because the more you identify with those people i imagine it would have it would have been even more pronounced with jesus and and prostitutes and tax collectors mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like them like what are you really, what jesus? are you doing because that's that's not what a good jew does mm -hmm. that's not what a good seventh-day adventist does that's not what mm -hmm. it 
That's that's the idea. And so to identify yourself with people who are who are in suffering is is to identify yourself with people who are not with necessarily always within the traditional bounds of of our understanding for what what is acceptable. And that's a that's a difficult thing. Yeah. Like people can always misunderstand your your intentions they can think that well, by identifying with these people you are also agreeing with everything mm-hmm. um they can believe that by associating with these people you're going to become like that mm-hmm. and all of, it's just like it's there's a lot of that but and so it takes a sacrifice of of, of almost your ego yeah. of saying okay lord i understand that others will, will misunderstand but you have called me to love and so i will mm-hmm. and your own family, your, your your church members, a lot of people may ostracize you for that. But then on the other hand, too, I think it's like Jesus' suffering here on this earth, too, seemed to be a bit, not just based on, like, being ostracized, but also the difficulties of then being in those situations. I could just imagine him sitting in a conversation with somebody and hearing, let's say, this, this you know, tax collectors and sinners. So there's these people who are living outside the bounds of, of, of Judaism, potentially, and they're talking about like what they did the night before or the week before. And I can just imagine like the the inner turmoil of, I love this person Mm. and I'm so sad that they're hurting themselves in this way. And I'm so sad that this is, they're also maybe even bringing other people into it. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just the ostracization of like the religious people. It's also the like, I hurt for you and I wish that things were different. So there's also that difficulty, which requires, Mm -hmm. I don't know, sacrifice, a heart for people that's going to hurt no matter what. I don't know. It's yeah. just, those are just tough situations. Yeah. I, I remember somebody <laughs> describing the prophets this way. People um, have asked, why do the prophets always seem so angry, right? <laughs> why are they always so yeah. angry and kind of, you know, ornier, or, ornery and yeah. all of that? Yeah. And um, he said, um, prophets are like people born with perfect pitch in an off-pitch world, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And I've always thought of it as a blessing yeah. if somebody was born with perfect pitch, but talking to my friend who has perfect pitch, <laughs> she says that it's also a struggle yeah. because, you know, for me, if if a piano is relatively tuned to itself, great. it's fine, yeah. right? But for someone who has perfect pitch, if it's not tuned to the actual pitch, yeah. it is, it's, it's like know. grating on them. Yeah. And you know, we know that the majority of instruments in this world are not in perfect tune, yeah. right? And so how bothersome, that, how grating that must be to your soul. Yeah. And the prophets are like that. And how much more Jesus oh, like yeah. that, right? Living in a world that's sinful and broken. And he's here he is like someone who is perfect and someone who is, you know, aligned perfectly to God. And how grating that must have been to live in that kind of world, that kind of sacrifice. Yeah, like the, the word that's translated as perfect, I believe, is teleos. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, it means like maturity, yeah. to, to, to grow to maturity. I've always struggled with that that translation of be perfect as my father in heaven. It's like, it's because perfection sounds like a, you reach the state of, of nothing is ever, uh, nothing ever bothers you. Yeah. But it, maturity seems like a, a, a really helpful term. And I just, I know for myself, if I, if I were to hang out with, 16, 17, well, no, 14 to 16 year old me. Oh man. Like (laughs) I would be so bothered by myself. And I I just think, I think of it in that way with Jesus of, of less so like looking down upon people, but just Mm -hmm. like, I like in the situations I've been in where I'm, I'm with somebody and I'm like, I just, this is not even really like personal opinion. This is like, this is psychological studies and all this stuff. What you're doing is not good for you. Yeah. And it's just like, it hurts. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know how he made it through. <laughs> I don't know how Jesus made it through all of this as he just watched people who were suffering, but also like one, there's, it's one thing to suffer. It's also another thing to go through that suffering and it cause more suffering to yourself mm-hmm. because you're, you're treating it poorly. Mm-hmm. So for instance, uh, it's one thing for somebody to pass away and you to suffer because you miss them. But it's a whole nother thing to also then be in denial and for mm-hmm. the, for like decades, like that just only compounds the suffering. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine him looking at people and just like, you're just compounding your own suffering. That's, yeah. that's gotta be painful. But then at the same time, loving them so deeply. And that's one thing that I would say that we don't, we don't think too much about when we think about the suffering of God and him coming in, into the crucible where it's like, he was not afraid to vulnerably love people mm in spite of the pain that that would still cause him. That's, that's, a, that's a shocking thing. I think we put up walls and we, 
we 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 wall ourselves off from from certain aspects of relationship or from 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 certain people because of the pain that it might cause to us. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. He walks right into those circumstances with people yeah. that, on the one hand, would judge and hate him, and on the other hand, people who would constantly disappoint uh, the, the the potential vision for what creation ought to be. And really, on both sides, the same thing. But like, how do you walk? in that space mm. and still love everybody and not become cynical yeah. and walled off and just like, whatever, nobody gets it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how you walk through the through life like that. Yeah. Well, that is such a powerful point that you're making that love, if we're truly going to love people, we have to be vulnerable enough mm -hmm. to suffer. Yeah. That there's going to be a potential for pain and for hurt, right? Because loving loving people who are broken just like we're broken mm -hmm. will often cause pain yeah. right um john ortberg um um in his book um i actually don't remember the title but he talks about porcupines and how porcupines um have this dilemma of having to wanting to be with other porcupines but never <laughs> being able to be close enough because they continue to poke each other yeah. right and he uses that as, as an example of us as humans, right? That we are like porcupines. All of us have brokenness. We have sharp edges. Mm -hmm. Like if we, you know, someone said, there are always people who um, will in your life who will be EGR. They'll have extra grace required, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you can't think of the person, it might be it's you. probably <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, so we all have those edges. Yeah. And so whenever we brush up against somebody else and we get close, the closer we get to someone, the yeah. more we see those edges and the more we experience that yeah. kind of pain. And yet the dilemma is we are built to love, we're built to care, and we can't unless we're willing to expose ourselves to yeah. the possibility of, of pain. And yeah. that just seems to be such a... For, the, for people who are in that space of like, I'm cutting myself off from people or parts of relationships because it, it hurts and I don't want to go back there. It's it's just crazy to, to, to think about Jesus walking through life and the relatability. Like you could sit down with Jesus over, over, uh, over a meal and just be like, isn't it so frustrating mm -hmm. to, to feel like, okay, I want to open myself up to this person and yet I feel like they're going to hurt me so I close it off or they're going to say something that hits something deep inside of me and so I close that off and... And Jesus goes, yeah, like it's tough. It's tough mm. to walk through that. I've walked through similar stuff, and 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 just it's it's to think that we could have a conversation with Jesus that was like, he's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I've been there. It's it's it stinks. Um, that's a that's a powerful thing because it, I think it actually it it's it's when you have somebody else to identify who, who identifies with a similar situation, it often gives you strength to be able to face that that thing mm -hmm. because they've also faced it too. And now you're not alone in facing it. Someone else has done it too. And I just think of that like we often put it in that space of like, well, Jesus was rejected and and hated. And I'm like, I don't have so much of that experience. I really <laughs> don't. But I do have that experience of of walking through life and and uh, and wanting to love people, but cutting myself off from because of how I might be hurt. And Jesus had the same opportunity, but didn't do it, but knows what it feels like to want to, I think, yeah. based off of what Hebrews says. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's a powerful thought. So. Yeah, it's true. And we're not talking about, you know, the um, having no boundaries, right? No, because yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, are, there are times that we have to put appropriate boundaries and separate us from people who are taking advantage or um are abusing right in those kind of spaces it's very appropriate to put up boundaries and, and we even, see G yeah, even jesus did it yeah i was yeah. gonna say like that's he, he relates to that too yeah yeah so there are times that yeah jesus stepped in and he said no that this is enough you're yeah. not going to go any further and so um that's not what we're talking about but we are saying that all love opens us up to yeah. the possibility of being hurt, yeah. right? It requires that kind of vulnerability, especially because we are all broken people. Yeah. And um, and yet, like you pointed out, Christ does that and he steps into those spaces. And even though he is so much more sensitive to sin than we ever would be, he is still able to have such compassion, yeah. so much love and caring for people and not turn cynical like you yeah. pointed out. And that's incredible. <laughs> and then, I, then I even think of of the whole, I mean, the very the very you know sort of on the side thing that he died for us. <laughs> that's that's uh, sarcasm. But but I mean he he, he comes and and it's to the point of death. That mm. it's not just it's not just 
I'll come and yeah, it's sort of a tough existence and you know, I know that you've suffered and, and all of that. So I'll, I'll experience some of that, but that he identifies with it all the way to the end of it, mm. which is, which is a, a, it's a brutal thing really when we look at it, but it's also one of the things that is comfort and hope to us Yeah, is that we are, we, we have, we've not gone through this alone, but, but not, not just to this point all the way, like Jesus has experienced if, if you have somebody on uh, that you love that's on their deathbed, you know, like Jesus experienced that in this life with, with his friend Lazarus and other people. But then even beyond that, he himself was there too and, mm-hmm. and knows the fear, the terror, the terror that comes with that, mm-hmm. the questions, the feeling like, does God actually care? Like, is he, mm-hmm. is he even close? Like all of that suffering that isn't just suffering that's physical, but the suffering internally and, and some of our deepest, darkest fears, he felt some of those things too. And it didn't keep him from doing yeah. what he, what he ultimately did, but, but it's still, I, I am certain he felt it or else he wouldn't have been in the garden saying, God, please, yeah. father, please, uh, if there's any other way, like I, he had to have felt those things too. Yeah. 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 You know, and I, although I hate that Jesus had to go through that, that experience of yeah. Gethsemane and the crucifixion, what, what I find is as we get closer to the crucifixion, we are given a little bit more of a glimpse of the humanity of Christ and his own personal struggles with the suffering and all that. Before then, as he's doing ministry, he's not aloof because he has so much compassion, but we don't really get an insight on how these events are affecting him yeah. internally. But when we get to the garden, all of a sudden that window is opened up and yeah. you get a glimpse at that. And I think that's so powerful, like you said, that we have a God who identifies with us in that he went through that himself, that that feeling of separation and abandonment from God, not knowing what the next step will be, fear about the future. So I want to read, um, as, we, as we wrap up today, I, I want to read that passage from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. And I guess this is, this is what, what we'll, we'll end today. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. Again, already you you see that he is not, this is not just another um, late night prayer session that he's having. He's, He's struggling here. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if possible, the hour might pass him by, like, like you had talked about. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Mm-hmm. And he came and he found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And so that window that we get into the internal struggle yeah. and fear and anxiety and and feeling of abandonment mm-hmm. that Jesus has. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what's what's kind of crazy about the whole rest of this is that like Jesus seems to be able to identify with all sorts of injustice in, in, the, in the whole thing. Because I mean, not only do his friends not support him in his time of need. I remember there was a, a period of time where there was a lot going on with our family and some of our friends didn't know what to, some of our family friends didn't know what to do mm. with everything that was going on. My parents were splitting up and there was a lot going on. And so they just kind of like took a full step back mm. from even my mom and who was, who was not the, not the perpetrator of this thing. And she felt abandoned through, mm. through all of that. And so I, I, I can even understand where they're coming from. Mm. The friends are, but that feeling for the person going through it, like that's kind of, that just hurts. It's yeah. like, it's painful. But then you, you keep going and you have like the actual person, Judas, who betrays Jesus. And maybe, maybe somebody has that person in their life, but then you go even farther. Now there's all of these religious leaders who are supposed to be the ones who know God best, mm. but they're the ones who are the ones just sort of, 
perpetrating some of the worst injustice in that. And some of some some people I know have incredible stories of hurt from church from church pain. You know, church church hurt is what is what we call it. Um, and then you even have like people specifically. It says for there was many who bore false witness against him, mm-hmm. but their testimony didn't agree. So there's little people p- taking money in order to get him falsely accused of things, but they couldn't even get their story straight. And yet there was this like wave that was happening where it, it didn't matter that their stories didn't agree. It was, mm-hmm. Jesus was still gonna, like the injustice of that must yeah. have been, I've experienced some injustice in my life and it's maddening because yeah. you can't do anything about mm-hmm. it and it's so not mm-hmm. fair. But then you get down to even Jesus, who he has somebody who's like, I will always be with you, Peter. You know, I will always fight for you. Right. And then even him when he's, confronted by a, a, like a, a young girl. It's like, oh, no, no, I don't know Jesus. And you just imagine that pain, and then yeah. you get to like Rome, who is supposed to stand for justice. Yeah. And even in that, they say, ah, this isn't beneficial to us, so we'll let it happen. It's not beneficial for us to stop it, mm-hmm. so we'll let it happen. And, and there's even more stories. But it's like all of that, like the deepest injustices of the world, Jesus feels, yeah. as many people have felt, but he seems to feel it from all of the quarters at once. And it's shocking that, again, he could go through this and still willingly stay in that. Again, because, I mean, you have the whole, he could call 10,000 angels, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. And he doesn't. that's it's wild that he would willingly step into that space and allow us to do what we do. And for any of us who have been on the receiving end of what the world does and what we also might do to others, I just don't understand how he, how he stayed. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, so he felt abandoned by God. Yeah. He felt abandoned by his friends. Yeah. His, actually, his friends do abandon him, literally, literally yeah. abandon him. And, and then he, he's here to save the world, yeah. literally save the world. Like yeah. other times we, we say those, that phrase and it's, yeah. it's an exaggeration. Yeah. But Jesus is literally here to save the world and yet he's misunderstood. Yeah. He's being punished. He's being attacked yeah. for the good thing yeah. that he's doing. Oh, so it's yeah. it's not just the fact that he's being crucified. Your, yeah. your point seems to be that he's the reason why he's being crucified is for doing something that he didn't actually do. Yeah. And he's he's actually trying to do a good thing. And yeah. they're instead misunderstanding and attacking him. And, and that, again, to go back to injustice, like injustice is one of the hardest things in this world to, to deal with because there's it, it no rhyme or reason to it. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. But yet it, 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 it is that way. Yeah. And Jesus, he knows stepping into this world, if I come to this world and I am the way that I am hmm. and I remain true to myself, I mean, he's, he's God, it will inevitably come into conflict with this world. Hmm. And that's one of the hardest parts for us is it, it even comes to that point of like, do I stay true do do I continue to follow God down paths that are difficult? Mm. Because that will inevitably cause conflict with, with the way that all of the world is. And I have contributed to that with my own brokenness. But inevitably it will come into conflict. And then at that point, do you continue to follow or do you decide to go back into your own way? Yeah. And that's such a, like, that battle, he must have come to that point mm. so many times. Yeah. And yet stayed stayed true. And And that is a powerful thing. I know, I know we won't be perfect in that way, but like it is a, it is a call to something that's difficult that he's, he's not saying like, I'm calling you into this. It's going to be great. He's like, no, I know it's difficult. I know it's suffering. He literally says it to his disciples. There's so much suffering in front of you, but I have overcome the world. And that's a powerful, that's a powerful dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. The fact that Jesus has already stepped into this spaces of injustice, he's experienced some of the worst that humanity has to throw at him. Yeah. He's been misunderstood, misaligned. He's been, um, he's been attacked both verbally and physically and emotionally. Uh-huh. And yet he, he came through that and he says, I'll get you through as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so powerful. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. yeah, just, and, and like you said, injustice is so maddening. I love how yeah. you said that. It's maddening because it feels like it, it, it cramps on our pride. It, yeah. it, it makes us feel like... You're powerless. Yeah, you're powerless. Yeah. And yet Jesus went through that. Yeah. And he says, it may not be over mm-hmm. in this world, yeah. but I do have a plan and a future for yeah. you. And I love, I love how Paul describes that connection with God, that word, those words of encouragement in Romans chapter 8. Yeah. Right? 
where he says um, in verse 26, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weaknesses, right? Um, verse 18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us, yeah. right? He says, I know we're going to suffer. I know it's going to be painful, but that does not compare to the glory that is revealed to us. And then in verse, um, right at the end, verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that ultimately is our hope, yeah. right? That no matter what we're going through right now, and there are some of you I know that are going through so much, yeah. so much more than we can even imagine, that Jesse and I can even imagine going through. And yet the word of word of encouragement from Christ, who also went through so much, is that nothing will separate you from his love. Yeah. And I hope that will be the hope that carries us through. Absolutely. Yeah. Jesse, will you pray for us? As yeah. Well? Lord, we thank you that you have walked into this space uh, of suffering with us, that you didn't just create this world and step back and say, good luck, that you, be, you were intimately involved not just in its creation, but in its, in its continuation. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, Lord, we can walk through today, not with the promise that it will be devoid of suffering, because it will continue to, to have suffering. This is a broken world, and we will continue to feel that pain. However, we walk through this with the, with the promise that you, the one who has experienced all of this and overcome it, is walking with us. Mm -hmm. And so we trust in you, Lord. We, we pray for anyone who's experiencing these incredibly difficult circumstances right now, that they would feel your presence and your peace through it to know that they can still walk through this with you. In your name, amen. Amen. So friends, no matter what you're going through right now, know that our incarnate God, our empathetic God, our hospitable God is walking alongside you. Have a wonderful Sabbath. Thank you.